Hello and welcome to Autism Society of Berks County Inspiration and Impact. I'm your host, Carol Spencer. And during our previous podcast, we talked about what is autism from a parent's perspective. And throughout that whole discussion, we kept mentioning uh, sensory input or sensory processing. And so while sensory processing isn't exactly part of the criteria for an autism diagnosis, it often plays a very prominent role in the day-to-day lives of those living with autism. And while it's a fairly broad topic area, we're hoping to at least scratch the surface of sensory processing and that impact. And to help us do that, I am very excited to have Dory Blanchet with me today. Uh, Dory is an occupational therapist and owner of Step-by-Step Pediatric Therapy. And welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Carol. All right. So sensory processing is something that I think we're all doing all the time, whether we realize it or not. So I'm just going to jump right in with the the most basic question for someone who's maybe uh, heard of the term, but doesn't really know what it is, how would you generally summarize what sensory processing is all about? Well, I would say sensory processing is really our how our nervous system takes in information from our bodies and from the environment and how it organizes that information, makes sense of it, and then leads to some type of uh, motor or behavioral response. Um, so, you know, everybody has... Um, different ways that they process sensory information and when we're talking about children with autism often they will have some area I think I read in a couple articles 80 to 90 percent of children with autism have difficulty with processing some area along the sensory spectrum right and would you say just like autism itself is it safe to say that the intensity of how one processes all the input could range in a spectrum itself it might be mild for some and extreme for yes another? I, I would say the way people process sensory information um, is just as individual as um, the way people process everything so there are variations within children with autism there are variations with children without autism and how they process sensory and ourselves too i'm sure yes yes. yeah and i and the one thing that we kept bringing up before and in previous podcasts is um that we have to remember that everybody's going to be affected in a different way and so what's true for one person who might be on the spectrum is not true for for everybody right there are very uh, a lot of varying um aspects within sensory dysfunction that you know are different from child to child. So, uh, and whether or not the child has autism or not, the way that they show their their, um, difficulties with sensory is just varies. So you you can't walk in and um, say, oh, this child has autism, so they have all these um, difficulties with processing sensory information because that's not necessarily true it will vary between individuals right and then you have to tease out exactly, uh, exactly. what what those things would be I mean, yes. could is, are you able to give some examples of what you've seen maybe from a mile to an extreme just a sure yeah. well one thing i want to kind of so when we we're talking about sensory processing mm-hmm. there is Um, a disorder called sensory processing disorder um, that I think sometimes gets very confusing because um, people will assume if you have sensory processing disorder you have autism or vice versa if you have autism you have sensory processing disorder and that's not the case case at all Um, although you know a lot of kids 
with autism do have difficulty um, taking in and making sense of some sensory information, um, it's not always a given that that's going to be a difficult area for them. Um, some of the things we, we, I think, are more common with children with autism that I see are um, some hypersensitivities in certain areas, like um, with touch, mm -hmm. um, so that children dislike um, touching different things, don't like tags, don't like getting their hair cut, um, the seams on the socks. Yes, yeah, seams, <laughs> the on, the seams socks. on the socks. <laughs> uh -huh. Walking in the grass barefoot, going to the beach, um, different things like that. And um, one way I like to kind of describe it to um, typical children, uh, this is one of the examples that I gave mm -hmm. to a preschool class, was um, I walked around the class with like Velcro, like the mm -hmm. the rough Velcro right. on my fingers, mm -hmm. and would just touch someone lightly without them knowing it. And I kind of explained to them that response, mm -hmm. that surprise, and it's almost like a, a, um, a fear response, is often what just regular light touch feels like to kids who mm -hmm. can't process it correctly. So it's just how they interpret it in their brain. And so it's not really the skin, it's it's the brain. Right, so it's how they take in that information from whichever sensory system. So in this um, example, we're talking about um, touch receptors and how that information comes in and how they process it and make sense of it and then the response that they have. So the information coming in doesn't get processed um, the right way. It's, you know, all those nerves are kind of like, you know, a highway and they're all different ways to get there. Mm -hmm. And for some kids, um, it's probably not the most efficient um, way that they get to the right. brain. So they have a response that may not be um, the most efficient or may not be behaviorally appropriate. Right. I, I know um, you, you were talking about touch. I I always see the, the sound part of it, how, you know, just the same thing with a light touch may feel extremely painful to somebody. Same thing with the sound, like a little sound might be just overwhelming all the you know, noises that you and I can tune out. I know for my son, he always has to wear the the headphones, right, which is, right. that is, we don't go anywhere without those headphones, but he, he's at the point now where he can regulate if he wants to have them on or off. And, you know, I, I always feel bad for him with the, you know, the fingers in the ears, but that's the one that I typically see a lot yeah, with him. Yeah. And yeah. we have, um, in our move and groove group, we have a, a sensory motor group that we run for kids, um, of all different types of, um, abilities. Um, and we have noise canceling headphones always because mm -hmm. the room is really big. And um, and for some kids, not only is is the sound um, loud and almost kind of like a painful to them mm -hmm. is how I would perceive it, but also for some children, it's just very disorganizing um, because there are so many different sounds and you're not processing them. Um, as to the person talking to you, and you might be focused more on a distant sound, and it's just very disorganizing. So, too. so disorganizing kind of uh, meaning like it kind of scrambles things up. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah, a way. And, and it makes it difficult to know what you're supposed to be focusing on, how you're supposed mm -hmm. to be responding, and um, I think that's the thing with with sensory processing. It's 
I, we, temp, we tend to focus on the processing part, but really what's affecting the kids the most is their, the response that they have from this processing, okay. so how they're reacting. And that's kind of the thing that we try to help them with. Okay. So, you know, I'm glad that you said that because what I wanted to have you clarify for everybody is that you're an occupational therapist or an OT. So what is an OT's role in addressing sensory concerns? Because I think a lot of people think it's just fine motor. You know, it's, it's right, hand right. therapy, it's this and that. But it's really, there's there's a whole other part of it that people may not be aware of. So what, what would you, your role be in helping a child, you know, make sense of that disorganization. Yeah. So, I, I mean, sensory itself is kind of a mystery to a lot of people. A mm-hmm. lot of physicians aren't as clued into sensory processing. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual diagnosis, sensory processing, processing disorder, um, I don't, it, I don't think it's in DSM. In the. Uh, I'm not what, what sure. Are we at? Uh, uh, I think DSM five. So this is the criteria that physicians will use to diagnose a particular disorder or disability. Right. So yeah. sensory processing is often not recognized by a physician um, as a um, billable diagnosis. Yes. Um, Something legit. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Yes. So. so. For occupational therapists, um, we really try to help families first identify the sensory processing difficulties that the children are having by doing, uh, you know, interviewing the families, observing the child, and doing certain evaluations. Um, and we really want to see what's what's causing these behavioral responses or these motor responses that are hindering the child's ability to mm. interact in their environment, to learn in school, to mm. get through their you know, activities of daily mm. living, um, all trying to kind of make them uh, um, have a more positive experience. Um, and then we work with trying to help either the family or the school in improving the processing piece or adapting the way the input comes in, like you were talking about the the noise canceling headphones, mm-hmm. but adapting the environment so that it's um, so that the child's able to respond appropriately. Yeah, so you play a really vital role, not just for parents, but for the child, um, for the child, and for schools, for anybody that's working with them, just to help them kind of survive. <laughs> you know, endure that those environmental. The environmental input, I would say. Yeah, I do think that we are kind of um, special in our discipline in that we do have that um, background training in the sensory system. Many OTs go on to get special certifications. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one, the Sensory Integration Processing Test Certification, or SIP certified, yeah. which I am, um, which is helpful, but um, a lot of it is just um, experience in working with children, too, and yeah. keeping up with your reading and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, and you, you had talked earlier about um, some some people who might doubt it, you know, I, I and I've met them, too, where they, they kind of dismiss it and say, well, just get over it. Just do it. Just touch it. Just, you know, do whatever. And so why do you think it's important to be understanding of that, of the sensory processing and how it can affect somebody who might have autism or just even sensory processing disorder? Like, what would you say? Well, hey. I mean, <laughs> sensory processing is neurologic, so it's not, um, it's, 
it's more than just a child being naughty or mm-hmm. being or um, just being you know difficult um, it's their bodies are not able to process information mm-hmm. coming in appropriately so um, by being more aware of that there are some really easy things mm-hmm. that people can do that can help a child um, be able to interact more appropriately and can kind of prevent um, a meltdown, which can sometimes happen mm-hmm. when um, you don't really respect their um, difficulties with processing and you're kind of overloading right. them. Right. And thinking, maybe along the lines of thinking, it's more of a, a can't and right. not a won't. Right. You know, so, well, you know what? I think this is something that's worth going into a little bit more detail about. So, how about we push pause button? on this and then come back and continue the the conversation about sensory processing sounds great sounds good all right well thank you for talking with me today and i'm looking forward to doing part two and thank you for listening till uh, next time i'm carol spencer and this has been autism society of berks county inspiration and impact for more information visit us at autism society of berks join our facebook page autism society of berks county members group and check us out on twitter at berks autism that was fun.